Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about parenting solid citizens, engaging the golden rules of life to raise resilient and compassionate, wholehearted kids. My first guest is Darby Fox. She is a licensed clinical social worker and the author of Rethinking Your Teenager, Shifting Control and Conflict to Structure and Nurture to raise accountable young adults. Darby Fox is a child and adolescent family therapist in private practice in Connecticut and New York. With over 20 years of experience, she is an expert on parenting, child psychology, and family topics. She regularly appears on air and in print media. Fox covers a range of topics from parenting questions and discipline techniques to current trends in child development. Darby, welcome to the show. And what a trend we have to talk about today for the last year in our rearview mirror. <laughs> Hopefully it's in the rearview mirror. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Oh, it is a pleasure. Yeah, let's talk about the hope of the pandemic being in the rearview mirror and how the last year has impacted the way we parent, the way we guide children and live by example and good modeling. I think as catastrophic as the last year has been, the one thing that I find really hopeful is I think parents have become connected and re-engaged in their families like we haven't seen in a very long time maybe forced. I mean, certainly stay at home creates that. But I think it's had some very positive impact. And I think that that is something in a time when there was so much uncertainty and anxiety. If anything, it raised the awareness of parents, how important their role is in modeling to kids and actually being there as a guide for their children, as opposed to controlling their kids. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because the difference between parenting and modeling, you know, and maybe when we were raised, I, I can speak for myself, not for you, obviously, I felt as though the parenting style was much more directive and much less about the modeling of the behavior. Exactly. And I, and I do agree. And, you know, I, I think parents felt like they just told you what you did. And maybe I'm not exactly sure why, but kids maybe were more obedient and they would just follow those rules. Although there was a lot of internal struggle. And I think now when we parent, we have to resist that going too much to being nice or being a friend. And we need to really, the, the key part with any human behavior is modeling and people pick up on what they see and experience. We're experiential in how we learn and can, you know, 
behave. So I think that that's a very important difference is parents sometimes forget. It's not just say it. It's what do you do? That's what your children pick up on. Yeah. And when we talk about um, the need to be nice or to be liked or to be like a friend to our children, I agree with you that we are, we, we are not those things. We're their parents and we can be kind and we can be dignified and caring and merciful in, in our approach with them. But our job is to keep them safe and help them develop and launch into the best people that they can be. Exactly. And that's where, you know, we often hear today that young kids are going to be such a mess and they're not accountable and they don't care about anybody but themselves. And when I hear that, I think it's a huge overgeneralization, but that goes back to whose fault is that? That's the parent's fault. We really need to think about how are we setting an example and raising them so they have the ability to negotiate the difficult times and the pieces that will come into play that aren't so pleasant. And I think that that's really important. They have to have a role model. Yeah. You and I have several young adult children between us. We do. <laughs> we do. We've and we survived. <laughs> <laughs> and we're standing and we're laughing. But for those who are listening that may have a teenager or an adolescent or even a, 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 a younger young adult that is still needing a lot of um, mentoring and coaching, how would you suggest to create win-win situations when dealing with their upset? So I think the most important to have a win-win situation is for parents to actually try to connect with their adolescent, their young adolescent, where their child is. Too often we stand kind of, if you will, above them and we know what it might be like to have failed a test or not make a team or get broken up, you know, a relationship ends. We know how that feels and we kind of look down on them and say, oh, don't worry about it or I went through that. That's never helpful. It's not helpful in most any relationship. So what parents could do better to create a win-win situation is actually validate the discomfort or the disappointment that their child's going through and then help them reset where they can go from there. Because we need to realize and build in that disappointment and failure are a part of growing up. Uh, they're a part of life. And we need to embrace that more. I love what you're sharing. Because too often, we want to couch our children's failures, we want to prevent them from having discomfort. And it's really like the blessings of a skin knee, right? It's like only through right. the skin knee itself, can we learn to build these character strengths that we carry with us into our lives? Exactly. And that's where, you know, the old adage, like, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, is actually a pretty good one. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, I think my kids, poor, my poor kids grew up with the notion, I always said, you know, don't expect it to be fair. Things aren't fair. So we want to be able to acknowledge, okay, maybe it's not fair, but where am I in this? What, how do I choose to respond? And that's the piece that parents really need to help their kids fall back on is, okay, what do you have? Where can you go with it? And that's how you learn not only to be accountable because 
it's your behavior that you're choosing. The other piece is that goes towards happiness and contentment. Because even though you have a failure, you can take great pride in how you chose to respond. And that's really central to adolescence. And also what you said about validating, like when we really take the time to listen and validate or put ourselves in the shoes of the other, whether it's our child or our spouse or our coworker, that has a kind of social currency that is priceless. It, it's priceless. And if you think about that with any relationship you have, any intimate relationship, any coworker, great friend, seldom are we looking for them to solve our issues. But if they can just hear our struggles, then we, we feel validated in that. We feel like, okay, it's okay. You hear what I went through. Yeah. All right, I'm going to survive. Okay, what can I do next? And with adolescents, it's, they're primed to seek novelty experiences, to be looking for gratification. Never in their lives is their brain developing more quickly and with more power and creativity than through adolescence. So they don't usually want to disappoint or mess up but they honestly don't know how else to do it. So frequently, if it, I mean, they don't, you know, I, you always hear people say, I don't know what you were thinking. And in a sense, Oops. they actually, you <laughs> they know, weren't, they actually weren't, they were thinking about gratification. Yeah. And we do know that the neurotransmitters that, you know, are coursing through our veins saying, oh, this will be so fun or gratifying are much more powerful than that little GABA stop thing. It's like, where's that? So if we know that's not there and that's what they're doing, they really aren't thinking about sort of the pathway. If we can say, look, I, I, I get you screwed up. I still love you, but you know what? Let's do it differently. Or this is a perhaps a better route. Then they can learn from that. And they're willing to learn if they haven't been shamed or disgraced. I think what you say is so valuable about uh, a young adult or an adolescent's brain or a teenager's brain, right? That the executive functioning, the part of the brain that governs reason, accountability, discernment, morality, delaying gratification, it is just not there. It is a de it's a developing part of their brain. It absolutely is. And they don't really, they do want to please, but they just haven't experienced these things before. And we sometimes forget because we know it, that they don't know it. And I think that that's a key part of connection. If you give them a sense that you believe in them and you think they can figure it out and you kind of expect they're going to screw it up, I'm not saying, oh, just be really sweet and kind and they can do whatever they want. I'm saying, give them a structure. There are often consequences to, you know, a missed curfew or a paper not being turned in in time, those kind of things. But let them let them experience that. Let them feel what the negative consequences and stay right there with them. Tell them you love them, but, you know, they can handle it. And that's how they learn that they can do better. Yeah. And we all want to do better. I think we're hardwired exactly. for that pursuit. We, we're hardwired to please. And I think that that's one of the most rewarding things I get to do with adolescents is make a connection and say, okay, who are you? 
who are you at the core and what do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And if you can make that connection, there actually no other group of developing people can respond as positively to your connection with them as adolescents. The question you just posed, who do you want to be? That is really powerful because, because the, the, the teenager is at a stage where he or she is feeling like they have so little control over their environment. When you ask them this question, you're actually handing back the control to them. Exactly. And everybody wants control, don't we? Yeah. I mean, we- <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to get some. <laughs> exactly. We all want a little control. And I think that that allows them, often they'll say, I don't even know. Like, I didn't think about that. Yeah. I just, you know, oh, okay, I get some control over this. And I think that's really important when we, you know, think of adolescence as, you know, they're going to kind of, push the truth a little bit. They're going to kind of tell little lies about where they might be or what they did exactly. We don't really need to get caught up on that if we know who they are at the core. So who's their foundation? Where are they trying to go? Then we can perhaps overlook some of those things and go with the more important piece, which is, are you a cannibal? Who are you? Yeah. Who are you? Who do you want to be? And can you look at your reflection in the mirror? Exactly. Like, are you okay with what you just did? And you know what? If we give them an opportunity to answer that, a lot of times when they've done something that, you know, we would consider not great behavior, unacceptable behavior, they'll be like, yeah, actually, no, you're right. I'm I, I'm not okay with what yeah. I did. Yeah, I can, in fact, do better. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with licensed clinical social worker Darby Fox. We're talking about her book, Rethinking Your Teenager, Shifting from Control and Conflict to Structure and Nurture to Raise Accountable Young Adults. To connect with Darby, please do so at DarbyFox.com, on Twitter at AskDarbyFox, and on Instagram, Darby underscore Fox. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we are back continuing the conversation with my guest, Darby Fox, licensed clinical social worker. We're talking about parenting solid citizens, engaging the golden rules of life to raise resilient and compassionate, wholehearted kids. Let's get back to it. So Darby, going back to the past year, the pandemic, the disruption that it's caused in every household around the world, the common thread amongst all of them is this online learning thing. Yeah, that that is, <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. So everywhere. So the online learning, as much as we have developed an amazing ability to put out incredible classes and do all kinds of really great things online, I, I certainly want to acknowledge that and the amount of incredible work people, teachers, professors have done. The piece of learning it and actually taking it in isn't very strong. It's not at the same level. We, again, are people that learn through experience and through multi-dimensions. 
So we pick up in a classroom, a live classroom, we pick up other people's cues, we hear their questions, we see their body language, we can raise our hand, we kind of have, we take things in because we're right there live and can experience it. What has happened with the extensive online learning Each age group is actually affected a little differently. Young kids really don't connect that way. They can see it and hear it, but they really don't take it in because they actually are very concrete thinkers. So they need, the concrete needs to be sort of a physical manifestation. So that's a difficulty there. If you move up the age group a little bit where you're going 8 to 12 and those kids are a little more adept at learning on a screen, if they have any learning disability or a hearing in any kind of auditory processing, ADHD, anything that creates a little bit of a distance with that screen, it's very hard for them to take it in and process it at the same time they're watching the screen. That's actually a very complex process, and it's very difficult to do if in any piece of that sort of learning highway there is an issue. And then as we get to older kids, High school, they certainly can, but they also know many ways to not be on it. They've got phones going, they've got iPads, they're Snapchatting, (laughs) you know, they're just, they just don't care that much. And actually, they they don't have to. They can, you know, is it cheating? Maybe not technically cheating, but they can ask their friends for notes. They can take tests with notes in front of them. There's a whole myriad of ways for them to, like, get through and get a grade, which is what they're thinking. They can stay in bed if they want. Like, you know, they can have their screen blacked out. So I think there's a lot of ways around that. And when you get to college, I know I have a son at a college in the South, and he was saying the other day, the freshmen will be there a whole year. They took their kids back. But these freshmen will have not been in an entire entire year of college without ever going to a classroom. You just don't learn that well. You become like, kind of indifferent. It, you just, you're not taking it in. You're going through the motions and it will set people back in the lower grades. Like we've never seen, it'll be a huge learning gap and the upper grades, it'll just be missed. It, it just won't matter. Other other skills will take its place. Like you talk about yes. the, the test taking, right? So what those kids are right. learning is, is collaboration, right? They're learning right. that if they work together, that they're going to get through it together, which I think exactly. is, a, is a skill. It, that is a skill. It, it isn't the same. So, so again, you know, when you lose one thing, you always hopefully pick up something else that's a benefit. So the benefit is in maybe more group projects and more collaborative thinking, which we do know is shown to have greater impact and longer, you know, you keep that in your memory, certainly, Mm -hmm. because you're processing in multi-levels, as opposed to just, you know, the rote memorization, like, you know, what are the capitals of Africa? Well, we all might have done that at one point, but who can remember it, right? So that is a benefit. But I do think, other than it's also very time consuming. And you tend to drift. I mean, think about being on a Zoom call or Skype, whatever, for several hours a day. It's just natural. You just lose your interest. Oh, we've all done it. You know, know, you're looking outside, you're thinking about what you're going to get for lunch. So it's not the same. And all the social pieces of academics and school, which are critically important, 
are lost when we go to a screen. And that's a perfect segue into this concept of reinventing or reprogramming our lives for the parent and for the children, right? Through this modeling process that we've been talking about, like how have we as parents been more resilient, been more creative in the way we solve problems and the way we have handled the last year of our lives? Because we're, we too are experiencing that same disconnection from that real-time experience, from the touch, the high-touch environment. Right. So I think as parents, one thing that has been great to see, especially with, um, you know, older, you know, young adults, uh, college-age kids, um, parents have sort of, everybody was like, oh, no, they're coming home. But whether they came home or not, you were able to connect with them at a different level. As young adults, you're like, oh, actually, maybe they could get dinner tonight. I I do want to have a cocktail and sit down. And I'm not promoting drinking. But the reality was there was a lot more time. And they didn't have to disappear to go see their friends or do something else. So we were more engaged. And really, although maybe not hugging, much more connected at a level of, oh, okay, let's you're my peer group. In a sense, we could socialize and be together in a way that we never would have before if all these other things were open and they could disappear. I agree with you. One of my kids came home for six weeks. She had an internship that ended, my daughter. And so she came to live with us for six weeks. This is the first time this has happened since she went to college at 18. And at first she said she was really nervous about it. And then Everything that you described happened, right? Getting dinner one night, the cocktail hour where you would sit and sort of talk about things in front of the fire. It was magical. And when she left, she goes, that was fantastic. I thought, didn't think it was going to be good, but I loved it. Yeah, Lisa, that's a real credit to you. That's what I think kids found. My kids all of a sudden all were home. And (laughs) the time we got, you know, summer in New York City and that shut down and somewhere at college. So all of a sudden we were all together and we did puzzles. I didn't do a puzzle with my kids since they were little. Um, You know, we would watch certain shows. We had to, you know, we did the violent ones for some of my kids and, you know, the sort of rom-coms for others. There was, there was a sort of sense of we're in this together and we can't go anywhere. So we better get through it. And I think we will cherish that forever. Yeah, I agree. And, and 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 then I had one kid on the other side who didn't come home. He was an athlete and his coach kept those boys in training, which was really incredible. I mean, they, they had independent training, but he made sure that they stayed in training and they stayed connected and he did not want to come home. That's a great credit to him. One of my sons in college is an athlete as well, and their coaches kept them going you know, over the phone and, yes, uh, or, you know, the workouts and they still had meetings they did. And, and then those athletes are mostly back on campus now. And, um, I have to say the level of sacrifice these kids have put up with at every level of sports to get through COVID and still be able to do their sports has been nothing short of amazing. I agree. It's like, you can't buy that adverse circumstance to build the character, you know, like it's not something you could purchase, right? They just, they had to muster 
this skill set in order to get through. And my son said that the, the, the online learning was a pain in the neck. He didn't enjoy it. He found it very, very boring. But he took up guitar and he learned to play guitar very well. He took an interest in the stock market and played penny stocks and realized he really had an interest in it. So there were things that happened as part of this whole story that I find um, the silver lining. And from a physical point of view, like with the training that you're talking about, your son went through, my kid gained 40 pounds. And I'm like, you know, as horrible as COVID was, that was those 40 pounds were the best thing that ever happened to you physically developmental right for sports exactly and i think like you said so many people were able to take the opportunity to pick up on something else or a certain industry like anything in acting and yeah. music that all kind of shut down it would force you to go somewhere else and i think that that was um hopefully that's here to stay people think okay wait a sec what am i pushing for what's really important. And that's a really important pause and connection that I think um, our kids have learned for the first time in their lives. Yeah. And, you know, for the long haul, you know, what they see for their futures and the kinds of lives that they want to design and live, you know, where the, in my view, from what they've shared, it's much less about the daily grind and more about the quality of life and having a more well-rounded experience. Yes. And I, and I hope that sticks around. I hope that Me stays too. with us. And, and the notion that, okay, something disappears, well, then I'll find something else. It's not, I don't have to collapse. And when it's not my fault, I can, you know, I'm going to adjust to that. This is a great conversation. Whether you have a, a young kid at home, a teenager, a young adult, or maybe you're just parenting yourself. <laughs> 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 My guest, Darby Fox's book, Rethinking Your Teenager, Shifting from Control and Conflict to Structure and Nurture to Raise Accountable Young Adults. I would say to raise accountable human beings. Darby, this has been yes. a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's it's enjoyable. I think it's so important that we focus on, you know, what is what is the bright side? What do we have here? Because in every situation, we've got to find that. Exactly. Adapt or die. Right. Really. Right. right. To learn more about Darby's work, please visit DarbyFox.com on Twitter at Ask Darby Fox. And on Instagram, that handle is Darby underscore Fox. And here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back continuing the conversation about parenting solid citizens what it means to raise resilient and compassionate wholehearted kids my next guest is Jeannie Cisco meth she is the author of bully proofing you improving confidence and personal values from the inside out Jeannie Cisco meth proves true that teaching is the profession that makes all other professions possible as a 17-year high school educator specializing in taking troubled teens from where they were to where they need to be, 
Jeannie has become an expert in communication, motivation techniques, and productivity improvement that apply to business, sports, and management. And she is in the house. We're talking about what it means to be resilient in today's society and social climate. Jeannie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. This is this is a subject you and I were talking about prior to starting our conversation here that there's bullying going on around us all the time now at every level of development, whether you're a kid yes. or an adult. Talk a little bit about that and what you're seeing um, in your world. Yeah, the climate right now is even higher for bullying than I believe it has ever been in any time because so many things have gone online and we have forgotten that personal touch. And it is so easy to lash out at someone when we think of them as the enemy or this. They, we don't even think of them as a person because we're just hitting a tweet or we're responding and people can get really ugly right now. And it takes a very special mindset to make sure that you make that through intact and still in, in, you know, appreciating and loving yourself no matter what other people say. Take us down the path of your story a little bit. Um, you spoke about um, your own situation as a, as a child growing up and finishing school when others said that you couldn't. Yeah. When I was in elementary school, my teachers told me that I was too stupid. I would never make it through. I had a lot of learning disabilities. Now, looking back on that as an adult, it was the perfect thing for them to say to me because it ticked me off. And I was like, wait, you don't decide. I decide. And so I grew up on a dairy farm. So I kind of took the reins, you know, and took the horse by the head or however you want to explain that. And, and I said, no, I decide. I will decide where I go. And and I made it through school. It was very, very difficult. Went on to college and then decided to help kids with some of the techniques that I had learned, not only to deal with adversity and to still believe in yourself, but to also learn that, that mindset that is so important for success today. And when we talk about the types of bullies that exist, there are a couple of different ones. Maybe you can um, define them and contrast and compare them. There are so so many bullies and anyone can be a bully. It boils down to the fact that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And when a hurt person is hurting, they don't want anyone else to feel good and they will lash out and do whatever they can to tear that person down. And so if I, as a person, can remember that hurt people hurt people and, you know, I get that negative post on my social media or, you know, someone someone the other day really lashed out pretty hard at me and, and I remember – I remembered hurt people, hurt people. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, you know, obviously you haven't followed me for very long, <laughs> or maybe this is your cry for help. I know that hurt people, hurt people. How can I help? And, and it's, it's not about you, the victim. It's about them and the pain that they're in. And if you can remember that, you can come from a space of empathy and understanding, and it will de-escalate the situation instead of making it worse. So you're talking about uh, the external type of bully, right? The one who will lash out, who will be aggressive towards others. And then you also write about the internal bully. 
Yes, correct. Well, we all the, know him or her. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, most people are aware of it. Some aren't. You know, all, they'll ask me, well, what do, you, what do you do? And I say, I help people tame the bully between their ears. And it's so funny to watch them because at first they're like, what? Wait. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it's, it is. It's just this insidious voice in our head. And it it can sound like many different people or one specific person. The question is, is what do you believe? And so that line works for external bullies as well as internal bullies. I decide what I believe about myself. Other people just validate it. And Mm. so if you have, you know, a child who is either has an internal bully or an external bully, the best thing that you can do for them is to ask them, well, what do you believe, honey? I don't believe that. What do you believe? And you can say the same thing to yourself. Whoa, that was out of left field. I don't believe that. I believe that I am beautiful, that I'm strong, that I'm God's creation, that I'm here to help people. You know, I decide what I believe, not someone else. Yeah. And that is empowering when we remind others of that. And when we remind ourselves of that, we reclaim our power. Yes, absolutely. Because the one who succumbs to the bully gives away their power. Yeah. And that's just what the bully wants. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. And as, as I'm able to believe in myself, I allow others to believe in themselves. You know, we hear the, the comment, love thy neighbor as thyself. Yep. In my opinion, the most important part of that is as thyself. Yeah. You've got to love yourself first. And when you do, the love that you feel for your neighbor will be 10 times stronger than it ever was before. And culturally, I think this is the greatest challenge that we have today when people are so um, bifurcated, right? And particularly yes. in America right now, that we're not really doing that. We're not really loving our neighbors as thyself. I'm not speaking about you specifically or me specifically, right. but collectively, we're not really doing that. We're not asking enough questions. We're not trying to... Um, uh, bridge the uh, the gap to learn more about what the other is thinking or wanting, you know, we are shutting down. And I mean, this is part of the, the bully culture as well. Absolutely. And I think the people who are shutting down are the nice people, the kind people, because they're afraid to offend anybody or hurt anybody. So they just don't say anything because they're not sure what to say. Whereas the bully takes their silence as an opportunity to escalate and become more vocal and more destructive. And so if you find yourself wondering what to say, the best thing to do is to ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. Get curious about the other person. Say, wow, I never thought of it that way. Can you explain yourself a little bit more? And when we're communicating, we see each other as humans, not an object. And humans like me, that, you know, you and I are alike in that we both want X, Y, and Z. We both want safety. We both want security. We both want our families to be taken care of. We don't, we all want to have our needs met. So there's not that separateness and disconnection from the other. Right. Exactly. And so I spent some time in the military, absolutely loved serving my country in the army. The army does a very, very good job of defining the enemy. 
and they are always the enemy. Mm. I believe that inside each of us, we have a built-in mechanism that will not allow us to hurt another human. The problem is, is we objectify people. And when we objectify them, turn them into objects, then we can hurt them. And we objectify people by calling them names. Yeah. Well, and I think also breaching our moral compass. Like we all pretty much know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. Even if we haven't been raised with those values, I think as humans, there's that innate compass, right? Yeah. And when we violate our own compass, that's when the trouble really starts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What are some signs of classic bullying? So those who are listening who are parents or or otherwise can can know if there's a, a bully in the orbit. So typically a child will start becoming withdrawn or start saying things that you don't want them to say, such as, man, I'm so stupid Mm. or, you know, oh man, I suck at this. Or they'll start making those derogatory comments towards themselves and, you know, or they'll start hiding or avoiding people or they're afraid to go to school, you know, or, or some of those are the classic signs. The most important thing to look for for is language. How does the child speak? But first of all, what is the language that you use to describe yourself? So many times our children pick up what we do, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I used to be notorious for that. Oh my gosh, I'm fat. Oh my gosh, my hair's a mess. Oh my gosh. Right. Constantly. Oh, I didn't get up on time, whatever. Constantly berating myself in front of my children. So I taught them how to berate themselves. Yeah. Now I wake up in the morning and I walk by a mirror, whatever. I'm like, check out that hairdo, girlfriend. <laughs> you worked on that all night. Uh, gorgeous, baby. Yes. Hello, beautiful. Yeah, hello, beautiful. And so you model what you want your kids to do. Now, here's a really fun thing, especially if you have little kids. And when you're going to the store and you know how those doors just whoosh open when you get close to them? Yes. So when those doors whoosh open, you just step through and go, dun, 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 I'm here, everybody. And then when you see your two, I think my son was four the first time he did it. It was the most incredible experience. He got a standing ovation. It was so hilarious. I'm getting goosebumps. Build them, build them up as much as you can every single second that you can. But I think, you know, when we say that, that we to to build our children up, to nourish them with good self-esteem makes perfect sense. But I don't think I want to just qualify this. I don't think what you're saying is to tell them that they are perfect, that when they when they mess up, you acknowledge that there's been a mistake. But it's absolutely it's not telling them they can't do any wrong. It's saying you are an amazing person. You are a perfect person. And sometimes perfect people, because we're human, we do things wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And and true personal value does not come from lies. It yes. just doesn't. You know, if, if I've just screwed up, so I'll go back to when I was a basketball coach for a lot of years. And here in Utah, we have a program called Junior Jazz, which gives everybody a trophy. As long as they show up, they get a trophy. And I remember going, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is wrong. 
you know, and, and I understand that everybody needs a trophy. Well, we also need the MVP. Yeah. You know, people say there's no I in team. Yeah, but there's a me. And if I'm the best me that I possibly can be, I make my team better. And if I know that I'm a great defensive player, that's where I shine. And then I pass the ball and I assist someone else because they're the best offensive player. And so knowing my strengths and my weaknesses is where my personal value comes from. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to continue the conversation with Jeannie Cisco meth to learn more about her and her book, Bullyproofing You, Improving Confidence and Personal Value from the Inside Out. Please visit www.geniesiscometh.com on Twitter at Jeannie Meth and on Facebook. That page is official Jeannie Cisco Meth. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Jeannie Cisco Meth. We're talking about parenting solid citizens and bully proofing our kids and maybe even bully proofing ourselves. Let's get back to the conversation. So, Jeannie, um, talk a little bit about the structure of this book because one of the things that really drew my interest and attention was the interactive nature of the book. Yeah, I love reading a book and highlighting it and making notes and comments and to-do lists. And so I really tried to incorporate that in my book because I know that the more engaged in the learning I am, the longer it sticks with me. And so I do chapter recaps at the end with, you know, kind of the, the bullet points of the chapter and the most important part. And then there's, there's a space for you to take notes, you know, what I need to remember, things like that. I really want people to, I don't just want them to pick this up and read and go, oh, that was a good book and set it down. I want them to get into it and go, wow, I really see myself here. This is what I can change or this is what I can improve. I want it to help them change their life. And the way you write this, in my view, is a very holistic, integrated way. Not only is it dealing with the mechanics of bullying, but it's also dealing with the soft skills required in order to become more bully proof. 
Yes. So if business is 80% psychology, 20% skills, so is learn, so is living. And so 80% <laughs> of my life, I've got to get my mind right. I've got to take care of my psychology. I've got to believe in me. And then 20% of it is skills. And the more, you know, I first learned that years ago and the more I utilize it and apply it to my life, it's absolutely true. Parents the same thing. If I wake up in the morning and I'm having having a bad day and I'm grumpy and all of that, guess what? My day can go absolutely crappy. Yeah. But if I get up in the morning and I'm like, hey, it's going to be a great day and I have my music that I listen to and I jump into my Bible study. My son is 22 years old. And the other day um, he comes to me and he says, mom, you are always so happy. You're always so uplifting. He said, I just love being around you and spending time with you. I was like, oh my gosh, my heart just melted. He's 22 years old and he's telling me that, right? And he likes you. Yeah, he likes me. He loves spending time (laughs) with me. And I said, you know what, buddy? By six o'clock in the morning, I am. So let's not meet at 530, okay? (laughs) That's really funny. But I wanted him to know that I, I wasn't made this way. I'm creating it every day with what I choose to do in the morning. Let's touch upon that for a second, because the perspective from some of our listeners or people that sort of have a hard time embracing this concept may say, well, you're just Pollyanna. You know, you're just always looking at the world through rose colored glasses. The glass is always half full. And it's really, quite frankly, annoying. I have had people say this to me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nauseating. Actually, I have one friend who I'm very close to. She goes, you nauseate me when you go with that happiness stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when I was when I was younger, Uh, You know, I haven't always been this way. Trust me. I, you know, you compare me to 20 years ago. We're not even, even close, but I will, I watched that movie, Pollyanna. Absolutely loved it. (laughs) It was great. It was a total shift for me in my life. And I, I, I remember making a very specific decision and I remember thinking, do I want people to feel sorry for me? So I have an excuse to get away with things I don't want to do, or do I want to be the example that people look at and go, wow, I want what she has. Yeah. And that's what I decided. I want people to look at me and go, wow, I want what she has. And I have found that the people, you know, just like your friend, the people that say it's nauseating, it's because they haven't, they want it, but they don't know how to create it. They, you know, it's this, it's like the, the unicorn or the Pegasus, right? They, they want it, but they have no idea how to create it. And that's why I started a mentoring business is to help people learn how to create it because this is absolutely creatable, 100% creatable. Let's talk about this for a moment about mentoring, because this is something that I think everybody needs. Everybody needs a mentor. And the beautiful thing about mentoring is people are happy to mentor. Yeah. They just need to be asked. Like, this is your business mentoring, but I have had people mentor me over the years. I do mentor young women through the United Way. It's part of the... Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Part of the service project uh, work that I do. And nothing makes me happier when someone says, will you, you know, be my mentor? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
what do you need? What do you, what do you need? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want to be supported with? And how can I support you? What does that look like? Yeah. So for me, it looks like I have mentors, I have coaches, you know, and, and I absolutely love it. And so for me and my clients, it's you bring your goal to me and you say, Hey, this is what I want. And then we give you actionable steps every day that you're accountable for. And then I help you see things that you may not see because you're in the middle of it. You know, I'm sure you've heard the saying, you can't see the forest because of the tree. Yes. <laughs> and that happens to me in my business all the time. I'm I'm in it. I'm working in it. And I don't see that if I were to just shift just one or two degrees, my trajectory is totally changed and my life changes. That's what mentors do. They say, oh, did you notice this spot right here? Whoa, (laughs) you know, and everything changes and shifts. It's not that they do the work for you. And I think sometimes people think, well, mentoring doesn't work. I hired a mentor and it didn't work. Well, the mentor doesn't work. You work. The mentor just helps know what to do. (laughs) Tiny little detail, Jeannie. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Huge. The details, details, details. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that we have to be willing, which I, when we talk about becoming more bully proof, we have to be willing to do the work to get ourselves there too. Correct. You have to, so in the book, I talk about making a list of a hundred reasons why you are so cool or awesome. And usually you can get, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 if you really stretch. But by the time you've got that hundred list done, you know, you know that you are important. But if you don't make the list, then I, I liken it to a table. The more legs I have underneath my tabletop, the more sturdy that leg, that table is. And yeah. if I've only got a couple of, of legs, you know, well, I'm good at basketball or I'm really good at, at writing or telling stories. Okay, that's two. But if I can put a hundred legs under that tabletop, you're not going to shake it. You're not going to move it. Yeah. I hear you. We're nearly out of time and I wanted to give you an opportunity to read something from the book because you mentioned that you summarize each chapter with recapping of the concepts that are taught. And there was one that had called to me and I would love for you to, to read from Bullyproofing You. Yeah, absolutely. Chapter six is called, I love you. And it's coming from the pyramid section, the middle section of perspective. And it talks about the the chapter recap says, all life is connected. Every person is loved. You can ease another's pain. You decide how the movie ends. Competition pushes you to be better. Live and let live. There is time for everything. And so what this chapter is really about is realizing that hurt people hurt people. And if I can remember that, I can remember that they're lashing out because they're in pain. And just because they're calling me names, it doesn't mean that I have to let that label stick. I can peel that label off and choose what sticks. And it's not even true. Right. It's just, it's not, I mean, it's one thing if there's truth, but there's no truth. The bully doesn't speak 
your truth. It only speaks no. their truth. No. Many times they speak something that you've been saying in your own mind already. That's why it is so important to guard your mind. That's the most important part of your body is your mind. And if you allow doubt and indecision and negative comments and things like that to fester in your mind, when a bully outside of you says it, it validates your thought. That does not make it true. It just validates your thought already. And so rip that label off, put one on, put, I'm beautiful, I'm sexy, I'm smart, I help people, I love people, put those labels on for the day. Try it out, see how it feels. And the bully is the projector, right? So the bully is projecting to the outside world onto others, what he or she ultimately thinks of themselves. Exactly, right. The book we've been talking about is Bully Proofing You, Improving Confidence and Personal Value from the Inside Out. My guest today has been Jeannie Sisko-Meth. To learn more, please visit bullyproofingyoubook.com, bullyproofingyoubook.com, which is slightly different from the other address that I had given in the earlier segment. And if you go to that site, um, Jeannie has a gift, which she's going to share with you. I'm going to autograph the book and get it out to you. I'll personally send it to you. There is also an option to upgrade to the workbook and videos. It's a whole home study course. Like I said, I really want you to change your life, not just read it and put it back on the shelf. Fantastic. And to connect on social media, on Twitter at Jeannie Meth, Facebook, official Jeannie Cisco Meth, and on Instagram, Cisco Meth. Jeannie, thanks for joining us on the show and thanks for creating such a great interactive process for becoming more resilient and hearty from the inside out. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved today. Me too. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Darby Fox and Jeannie Cisco Meth, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day and practice the golden rule. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.